Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, friends. So, again, this is a bit of an experiment here on my wild podcast where I do an episode or two where you ask me anything and I answer it here on the spot. There's no run-up and I kind of just wing it, I suppose. You'll have to let me know if you like this idea and I'll keep doing a few in between seasons as we go along. In the first of these special episodes, Julia Stone actually sent me a voicemail to my DMs, which was an awesome surprise. So you'll have to go back and listen to that one. I kind of like this format, actually. I reckon the world could do with a bit more unfiltered, unpolished, unscripted, unforced stuff, like in general. I find I work a lot better when it's sort of like Pima Chodron puts it, and I quote her a lot in my book, This One Wild and Precious Life. I'm nailed to the spot, you know, forced into the present um, by having to do something on the spot. As a related aside, talking about the present, I'm actually neck deep in putting together my tour with Live Nation that will trundle around Australia throughout July. And it would be so awesome to see you there. It's like a giant book club. It's like a giant kind of ask me anything conversation where I'll be answering the stuff I've come to realise everyone is needing to talk about with each other, the hard, messy stuff in and around the political fragmentation, the racial and sexual politics, neoliberalism or capitalism and our collective and moral loneliness. But mostly I'll be talking about the climate crisis, which is very close to my heart. I'm not sure if you've heard of Rumi's Field, that line in one of his poems, He writes, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and ideas of rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And that's kind of the aim of this tour. I'm wanting to go and meet all of you in in that field, that field of caring so that we can get fired up and get collective and what I call congruent with nature, with our nature, so that we can work together to save this one wild and precious life on this planet. It comes at a perfect time, I feel, here in Australia. It's really just ahead of the COP26 climate conference that's happening in Scotland and, of course, ahead of a federal election. On the tour, I'll be getting people that appear in my book on stage via animated videos and there'll be poetry and some special appearances. I'll be answering a bunch more strangers' questions like I'm about to do with you here. We kick off July 3rd in Sydney at the stunning recital hall in Angel Place. And then we move on to Wollongong, Canberra, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Melbourne and Perth. And if people kind of like the tour, we will extend it. So spread the word fast. 
I really want to get this to a regional. Tickets are on sale right now at livenation.com.au and I have just been told that I think Brisbane is almost sold out and a few of the cities are close to it too, so you'll have to get in fast, as they say. So before we start, I'll remind you to listen to and rate and share the first season of Wild. It will keep me gainfully employed if you do. Season one was a a bunch of whimsical chats that I had with people that I frankly found interesting or that you guys, some of you at least, asked me to go and talk further with. They have to pass one test and that is they have to be wild livers. One of my favourites in the series is with Rutger Bregman, the mad, smart Dutch philosopher who came up with the idea of the universal basic income when he was like 12. Well, actually, I think he was in his late 20s. And he also wrote the international bestseller, Humankind, in his early 30s, which argues we are kinder than all of that survival of the fittest stuff that has led us to believe that we are a selfish lot. He, like pretty much all my guests, legit lives his talk. He donates 30% of his book profits to funding fact-based journalism, which is pretty awesome. Okay, but let's get back to your questions this special episode where I answer your questions that you sent to me via voicemail to to myself and that Lindsay, I think you used my social media password to go in and retrieve them so that you could play them to me here for the first time. This is the second episode of questions because there were so many in the first. So let me know if you like this format and I'll keep doing them down the track. All right, Lindsay, hit hit me with the first one. Hello, Sarah Wilson. It's Claire Bowditch here from Melbourne, Australia. Darling, in the last year, we've noticed how important music is to us in a brand new way. It's one of the things that's kept us hopeful. And I wanted to know for you, if you had an ultimate playlist, one that you put on to remind you that you are strong and wise and can do things in the world, or just one that you put on at the start of a party... What would it be? What are a couple of songs you go back to from your life that make you feel things that you want to feel? I would love to hear. Thanks, darling. Bye. Oh, Claire, what a beautiful, beautiful surprise. I think we actually met. I remember not far from where I'm recording this right now, actually in Sydney, where you interviewed me. It was pre-podcast days. Gosh, what was it for? Anyway, we met each other on the socials. And we still interact on the socials because you obviously saw the call out for this. So thank you so much. Um, I I get very moved by music. I think we're vulnerable, we're raw at the moment and music enables us to feel all of those emotions and to feel feel comfortable in those emotions because music and, and that kind of art, that kind of creation just totally says this artist, at least one other person, this artist has, has felt the same way as me because how could they not if, you know, when they created this song? So I'm just having a look actually. I've got two playlists. It's um, One's called Connecting and one's called Wild. They're on Spotify, etc. So one is by Charles Bradley, The World is Going Up in Flames. I mean, that's pretty, um, pretty awesome. Father John Misty, Real Love Baby. It's those exultant tones. It's the minor key. It's all of that stuff that gets me going. Oh, and phosphorescent song for Zula. That really, really gets me, that song. It's the minor key. I can lie there in the dark and it's it's soaring. 
it it grabs my heart and shakes it and says, "Be alive to all of this," and then and then do something. Um, I've also got Kate Miller Heidke, "Little Roots." It's a really motivational song. For some reason, I find it a protest song. I don't know why, but there's something in it that gets me to that effect. What else have I got? Oh, this is a really odd one. Anna Brun, A-N-E-B-R-U-N. She's Swedish and she's got a song called Do You Remember? And it's like all my longing of all the breakups I've ever had, but it actually makes me feel good that I I broke up with these people and I, I felt what I felt. Talking Heads does it for me a lot. Um, yeah, they're just some of them. Um, my mate Jack River. Holly from Jack River. She's doing some great protest songs at the moment. I love, love, love a lot of female singer-songwriters from Australia, like your good self, Claire. I think that female singers are feeling it and getting it and and rising to that, I don't know, that that need to bring us all together and and music so often does it. So um, thanks for asking, Claire Bear. Hi Sarah, it's Michaela here from Melbourne. I'm a huge fan of your work and I've read your books and my question is around anxiety and I would like to know what is good about having anxiety or um, how has the experience of anxiety maybe helped you or enhanced your life in some way? We often hear about all the negative uh, effects of anxiety and I'd be interested to hear about something positive. Thank you. All right, Michaela, good question. I have made a living out of turning the anxiety is bad message on its head and trying to sort of really sell it in as a superpower. Um, and I only did that after I was able to sort of reframe it for myself. And then, of course, I went on that seven-year journey um, interviewing different people around the world to come up with a viable philosophical, spiritual, sort of scientific reframing of anxiety, not so much as a disorder but more as a, a gift, you know, something that that can propel us into great things, in particular creativity and and also drive us to ourselves. I mean, that's the ultimate irony of anxiety. It's a fleeing from ourselves and yet the discomfort of that is so unbearable that eventually it kind of sends us collapsing into a, into a heap at some stage where all we have left is ourselves. So it's this full circular hero's journey type experience. So I guess for me... I mean, I describe it as the grist to my meal. It's the kind of the irritation, the, the grain of sand that becomes the pearl. You know, great things only come about from an irritation that motivates us to lift. And um, anxiety is something that that really forces us to to shift. Um, anxiety, in many ways, it's a, you know, it triggers a flight or fight mechanism or a freeze mechanism in some cases. In all cases. It's, it's about getting us to act. It's, it's a signal that things are not right. Wrong way, go back. This is not good for us. Even though rationally we think we should be working this job or be with this particular partner, but anxiety will build because it's not right. Our souls are not sitting comfortably with it. And it's sort of a bit like, you know, the, the presence of a tiger will send us into flight or mode. Ditto when something is not aligned with our true values. And living a life that is not aligned with our true values is as 
dangerous to the human species, I believe, as a saber-toothed tiger or, I don't know, a poisonous mushroom or whatever threat confronted us, you know, sort of in our evolutionary um, progression. You know, it, it's just as valid to humans today. It's, it's kind of what makes us human is this desire to be in congruence with our meaning. We are meaning-seeking machines. So, so when we start to see it through that lens, that it's this incredibly helpful warning system that tells us we're on the wrong track, we can actually start to respond to it more artfully. And we can do what, and this is a phrase I use all the time, we can choose then to do anxiety once. Anxiety becomes a real issue when we get anxious about being anxious. We sort of somehow think we shouldn't be feeling this way. We shouldn't have this heightened heart rate and faster breathing and this alertness, right, that gets us maybe thinking more about what we need to do to move from a bad situation. So we get anxious about being anxious, then we get anxious about being anxious about being anxious, and, of course, then we go down in this spiral where we end up in this numb, sort of confused, overwhelmed space, and that's when anxiety is problematic. But if we do see anxiety as a, as a warning system, as a gift, as a superpower, we do it once. A panic attack, which is anxiety at its extreme, lasts between sort of 20 and 30 minutes at the most. And when you know that, you can kind of endure it, you can witness it, you can watch it, you can listen to it, and then you can say, well, what's this trying to teach me? So that's that's how I use my anxiety. Um, as a good force. And yeah, I think that answers your question. I hope it does. Hi, Sarah. My name is Jordan and I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And my question to you is, what are you excited about in a world that fills us with perpetual despair and doom? What excites you about the future? What has made you hopeful for a change in the future, and what have you not done that you would really like to do in the future? Jordan, I I kind of am prompted to sort of give you this sort of phrase that I have in my head almost every morning as I get out of bed, which is game on. It almost does feel like a game where I am sitting at the moment where I I probably see many of the fears, the dangers, the the information that is in front of us about where life is at particularly around the climate crisis, but also political fragmentation and just general social um, social loneliness and fragmentation. So what gets me excited is the fact that oh, there's an openness to do things differently and that there's a calling for us all to do that. And um, I try not to get too focused on my to-do list. I have a uh, you know, an epic to-do list and I'm aware of it when I go to bed. I'm aware of it when I wake up. I'm I'm a very hypervigilant person who is probably too on and that's my challenge in this, in this lifetime is to dial that down so I can temper it, I can modulate it, I can use it productively and responsibly and to be of service. And in fact, that word itself probably is the answer that I want to give you, Jordan, is that being of service is what excites me. Everything else has fallen away from me and it is a result of where the world's at. Everything else feels redundant. The stuff that I kind of got caught up in, you know, not to a large extent, um, admittedly, like 
my upbringing prevented me from being too caught up in materialism and stuff. But, you know, you're still, you're still attached to it, right? Um, it's, it's hard not to be attached. But I would say that the sense of being called to be of service and to help others is the exciting bit. I pull back quite often when I can feel myself gripping too much and getting too caught up in, I don't know, being good enough, knowing the answer, and, and all those kinds of very human things, I pull back and I try to smile at it and I kind of realise that, you know, game on. We don't know where this is all going to head. The rules that, that governed things previously no longer apply and so it's sort of quite fun to think that we need to invent, we need to create this new way forward and, and for me it's quite exciting so sometimes at night when I'm I'm fretting about all of this and I'm wondering if I'm doing enough and I'm really worried that I, it's all kind of too much and I haven't got the right balance, you know, the light, right life balance and I'm getting too stressed, I pull back and I sort of almost smile sweetly at it and go, let's make this fun. Let's make this a game. I'm feeling incredible freedom from the fact that the old rules are not helping us anymore and so we've got to create and so I try to get into that mindful space of connection and feeling my way through things and, and attending to that Rumi poem that I mention in my book, This One Wild and Precious Life, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And that's where I try to meet myself, you know, in that field where we can do things differently. And to, to practice that, Jordan, I listen to poetry I listen to beautiful um, Kate Tempest, is, who's just come to mind if you want to look her up, People's Faces. If you can look up that poem, um, that gives me heart. That gives me excitement. Maybe go, go out and Google that one. Hi, Sarah. My name is Stacy. I'm from West Virginia in the United States, and I am DMing you to ask how you maintain friendships with bipolar. I have it as well, and I just find friendships really hard to maintain. And I don't know, is it them? Is it me? Is it both? But you seem to have friends all over the world, so I'd love to get your advice on that. And I just love all your books. Thank you so much. Best of luck. Bye-bye. Stacey, I'd be your friend. Um, I can just tell from the excitement in your voice you would be, um, you'd be really present and you'd be super fun um, and you'd have complications. And no doubt you would be really good at explaining them and probably trying to offset them constantly. I have a, a page in um, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, my book on anxiety, where I talk about and it's sort of a page for people like you is like, so this is a little reminder page for, for people who have anxiety and get really down on themselves. And it's a page that says why it's awesome to have an anxious person in your orbit. And I list all the things and it's like, oh, the anxious friend will remember that on that group picnic that you're going to that Colin has gluten intolerance and that so-and-so is vegetarian and so you'll make sure that they're accommodated Um and you'll never be late. And if you are, there'll be multiple messages with contingency plans. And um, if it's raining, you'll bring an umbrella. I mean, there's a whole range of things that um, people with anxiety can bring to social situations in particular. And I guess I would invite you, and I don't know how old you are. I can tell you that as I've got older, I found my tribe and I have travelled the world as a nomad 
to find my tribe. My tribe is out there being nomadic and a little like me. I have to go to the edge to find the people that kind of can recognise me. I also have friends who are very solid anchors and they're my home base. And um, my mum describes my father, who tends to be rather excitable and maybe in another era he may have been diagnosed as being somewhat on the bipolar spectrum, as, you know, she said, I didn't sign up for a merry-go-round. I signed up for the roller coaster. And some some people really like to have a roller coaster in their life. And so I invite you to to own that and to sit comfortably with it and to not always apologise for it because I think in the apologising for yourself, you can alienate people who do want to come towards you because you do overcompensate for what you feel are problems. And perhaps for some people they would see it as invigorating, you know, and and raw and vulnerable and all the things that are the, the qualities of a beautiful friendship. And I allow myself to do friendships a little differently, you know. I, I do go out into the world and find my tribe and I am conscious that sometimes some people get burnt out by my energy and I, I back off. And sometimes I'm just really honest and I ask them, am I too much at the moment? And that's part of the responsibility of having any kind of anxious disorder is is you you own it, you know, you you own it and um, that can bring about some, some beautiful connection. So I'm sure you've got more friendships than you realise, particularly if you settle into what you're able to offer. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Sarah. My name is Anna. I am... Usually based in Mexico, but I'm in New Hampshire right now, um, USA. Thank you so much for writing all your books and for speaking on various podcasts. I found out about you from the Ultimate Health podcast, and I really, really love your work. Anyway, my question for you would be, um, what do you expect to be the next um, phase of wellness and wellness influencers I'm sorry if you don't like these terms, but I'm just curious where you think wellness is going in the future, you know, with uh, social media becoming more and more widespread and widely used. Where do you think we're going with wellness? Anna, um, I don't mind what term you use. I know exactly what you're referring to in terms of, you know, where can all this end up? I feel that the opportunity for the wellness industry, and I don't know if that's the same the same way of thinking about this, but I think the the opportunity is to actually 
dial down the individualistic aspect of it all and dial up the collective opportunity. So the wellness industry is very looped in with spirituality and that sort of well-being that goes beyond sort of, I guess, contemporary medicine. And, you know, there's this sort of reluctance, I think, amongst that crew, that wellness crew, to to take on things that are political, to take on things that are about sacrifice. And it's a real shame because spirituality has always been about the collective. It's always been political. Gandhi and Jesus respond were responding to to political needs. It was a political activation. And it forced them to go into some deep spiritual truths that then, you know, resonated with hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world. So I think that's the opportunity. I think that the wellness industry could actually become quite aware of the power they have and to use it to go out and be of service. Um, So go to your yoga class and then come out and um, get involved in a Facebook campaign to stop fracking in your neighbourhood, you know, to maybe go to a sound bath and then use that crew of people assembled um, to perhaps help out people in the local community. So I think that is the opportunity and I think there's going to be joy in it and I think it'll actually be way more satisfying and way more productive and I think there's lots of growth in that area. If I was in that wellness realm, that's exactly where I'd be going. I'd be cutting through by giving a slightly different message, one that's less about that sort of lonely, individualistic, me, 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 vanity sort of messaging and get with the spirit of the times and expand out into, okay, how can I, how can we use this to help? And Marianne Williamson says it really well. If you've done some work on yourself, if you've got any kind of relative wokeness, and I use that in inverted commas, mindfully and somewhat surreptitiously is you have got a skill set. Like we need you, (laughs) you know, you've got like the ability, the knowingness to go out there and to share it. It's like the monk who comes down from the mountain. He's up there meditating for years and years and years. What's the point? Unless he comes back down into the village and shares that wisdom. So I would say that there's an opportunity ahead rather than predicting what might happen. I'd, I'd rather sort of dangle that in front of everyone. Hi, Sarah. It's Monica from Browley in New South Wales. I'm wondering if you could give us your possibly controversial opinions on how to vote in the local, state and federal elections to ensure the best results for the climate crisis. Thank you very much. Monica, I can't thank you enough for that question. I don't apologise for giving my opinion here. This is my opinion. I'm not going to tell anyone exactly who to vote for, but if you're ask, well, you are asking the question via a climate lens, and I would say we've got an election in Australia coming up in uh, probably April, May next year, and the opportunity here is actually to to vote for climate orientated independence. I believe there are going to be a few that are going to be out there campaigning against um, incumbents, and um, I think that that's probably the exciting place that politics can can go to in the next election rather than the major parties being being funded by the coal industries and stuck in their in their thinking i think independents will have the opportunity not to be stuck and to to band together with a climate framework and that's already happening 
we probably only need three or four new independents to hold the balance of power, whether it's Labor or Liberal that come into power. As a, as a broad-based bit of advice, I'd just say get very clear on the climate issues. It really is about climate change. It's about the net zero emissions target that the Paris Agreement set forth. It's less about plastics and all of that kind of thing. It's also about equality. And I think racial, the, the Indigenous rights issue is tied into this. They're the two things that I'd be looking out for. But I'll do some more activation around that. Who knows, I may even do a special podcast issue devoted to this issue um, as various elections around the world come to the fore. I hope that helps. Hi, Sarah. My name's Renee. I live in the Gold Coast in Australia. My question to you is, I know that you're a fan of Mary Oliver's poetry, as am I, and I would like to know what poetry means to you. For me, it has helped me feel more understood and the poetry of Mary Oliver has helped me gain a deeper connection and understanding with nature. And I feel it has a very valuable place um, with mental health and connection and I'd really love to know um, what it awakens in you. Hey, Renee. Yeah, poetry. I came to it pretty late in life. I didn't go to a school where we did poetry. Um, I was introduced to it via David White, who I came across, I think, through brainpickings.org, which is an awesome, awesome website and newsletter where the founder of it, Maria, she sort of shares lots of different expansive poems and prose and books. And I really recommend it to everyone here. Um, So yeah, I would say I only really got into poetry about five years ago. So what does it do for me? I would say that it's got this magic to it where unlike prose or just everyday writing, it it dangles in a few clues and it points to the thing rather than describe sort of in blunt detail the thing. And so we're pointed to it and it's almost like in the gaps between the words or in the things that are not said and spelled out in, in sort of, you know, excruciating detail that we arrive at the knowingness that the poet has wanted to take us to, if that makes sense. So it's this delicate placing of just like little clues and and it's kind of playful and it's knowing. And there's this trust, right, that the poet, and Mary Oliver is just so good with this, where she just kind of trusts that we as the reader are going to know exactly what she means when she just puts three words on a page or when she uses a particular kind of metaphor or she starts to change the mood or the or the tempo of a poem and we go, oh, God, we so know what she's doing. And that creates a sense of belonging. And so I'm not surprised to hear that it helps you with your anxiety because it's that sense of belonging that I think every anxious person craves. We want to be recognised and we want to be recognised in the eyes of even strangers, a, a poet who is now passed away in nature, in in the patternings of life, you know, that don't have to be spelled out in black and white language. You know, black and white doesn't satisfy, but it's the knowingness. And um, I love the fact that there isn't something that you can actually say that can explain exactly why poetry does this to us. You've really just got to be there, you know, and uh, that's what's so special about it. Hey, Sarah, uh, it's Link. 
my question for you is um, everyone's got a little human inside them that they kind of touch base with when things get hard or at least they should uh, touch base with them. I wanted to know how you would describe your little girl uh, inside of you and where you kind of picture her when times get tough in your life and uh, how often do you try and reconnect with the the smaller, more vulnerable, more pure side um, that we all have inside us. Yep. Oh, Lincoln, how lovely to hear your voice here. Um, for those of you who don't know Link, um, Link Eunice, he's um, an actor and we met when he reached out to me from LA. Um, I think it was during all the riots that were going on over there. He'd read my book. We, start, we were pen pals and then he came back to Australia. He did ISO and came out and we, we had a coffee and we catch up regularly and we talk this kind of stuff. And so obviously Lincoln knows that I probably do have a vulnerable little girl inside, I think, and as he says, we all do. I have this image of myself as a seven-year-old. I never smiled for photos. Um, used to drive my dad mad. Every photo is of me looking <clears throat> somewhat bewildered and um, yearning for, for answers. So um, I've really got a sense of, of that girl and the way I connect with her is I actually do look at the photo. I look at the photo, I look into the eyes and I just try to have compassion for her and it brings about not so much compassion for myself, um, it brings about compassion for every little human that started out as a seven-year-old wanting to understand things, wanting to know their place. And, and um, yeah, I, I sort of also know I haven't changed. And I'm sure everyone listening here knows they haven't changed from the seven-year-old that they were. I think there's psychological evidence that whatever you were at seven sort of can determine who you're going to be as an adult. I was sad and I was incredibly lonely. Um, I, I, I felt like a, a widow back then. Um, many of us did, I, I guess. And, um, yeah, it's a conversation I have. I have it in the past written a letter to that little girl and I found it very helpful. Um, it can seem indulgent, but I think it more connected me with every little human out there. And when I walk down the street, Link, and you're way better at this because you can go straight to compassion. I have this anger and annoyance with humans that just kind of goes through me all the time. And I love humanity. I struggle with humans, but I will often look at people as they're walking towards me in busy streets and bumping me as they're flicking through their phones. And I just try to imagine them as a seven-year-old. Um, so it's a really good practice. Thanks for reminding me of it. Thank you. I've got to say, I found, I found this special episode really interesting to do. And thank you to everyone who sent me your questions. And sorry to any of you I didn't get to. I really am sorry. There were so many. I'm going to incorporate some into my live tour in July, though, which will be like a, an in real life or IRL version of, of this in some ways. So a few quick PSAs. The first, go listen to series one of this podcast, Wild, and also to the first of these special kind of ask me anythings, which are all up now. So when you've finished listening here, just scroll upwards and you'll find them all. And if you like this podcast series, please rate it and review it and share it amongst your friends because, um, well, that would be really important to me. So thank you. Let me also know on Instagram, which is underscore Sarah Wilson underscore, if you want more of these kind of fireside ramblings of my thoughts and my ways of living. I promise to oblige if I get enough feedback. 
And if you're in Australia in July, please book in for my Live Nation Wild and Precious Tour. I'll be in Sydney July 3rd, so that's the third day of July, at Recital Hall in Angel Place. And then I'll be moving, I think, the following day to Wollongong, the next day to Canberra, which is my hometown, Brisbane, which I believe is just about to sell out, although they've released a couple of extra tickets and more seats, Um, Gold Coast, where I hope to see a lot of my Byron Bay friends, Melbourne and Perth. Tickets are on sale now at livenation.com.au and I hope to see you all there. Adios. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.